what is going on. I am avoiding snow. This is great. That With all that snow that's uh, coming to D.C., it looks like it's going to completely miss where I'm at in Ohio. So I'm so excited. Nicely done. Did you do anything uh, to, to make that happen that no. I should know about? Or was this just uh, the power of, power of wishful thinking? Yes, yes. Yeah, it was, it was, it's very warming, yes. <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. good. How are you doing? Uh, I'm a little bit, a little bit ragged, a little bit ragged at the edges. I had a busy week down in the Raleigh headquarters uh, the, this week. And then uh, outran the snow, uh, as you did. Uh, yeah. But uh, I did, though, have a anyway, flight delay. A lot of, anyway, ch- unfortunate chain of events, and I ended up driving home from Dallas last night. Um, and hmm. arri- arrived home about two o'clock in the morning. Oh. So that was, uh, that could have been more fun. Yes. That's, yeah, that's not, that's not good. Yeah. How far uh, a drive is that? Uh, I, should, <laughs> I just did it. I should be able to tell you. Uh, it was, I want to say it was three hours, maybe three, mm. three and yeah, a half hours. Yeah, yeah. That was long, especially after getting off a, you know, three hour plane ride. Um, yes. That's not the way you want it. Tired. Yeah. 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 That's not the way you want that to work. Um, but, uh, anyway, no, but got some good work done. So, so that's great. And, uh, and, uh, kind of dragged through the day, but now I get to talk to you, which is my big reward at the end of a Friday. Yeah. It's a great way to close out a week. Very nice way. An episode. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. So that (laughs) I, something, it says something about us that we kind of relax on a Friday by talking about, um, all of the perils of our uh, internet connected lives. Yeah, and it, and all the the ways other people screw up. Um, <laughs> That's right. It's like fear, risk, and Schadenfreude. Era. That mm-hmm. that is our tonic. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep. speaking of which, what do what do we got on on tap for the show today? This one is all about uh, Internet of Things. So we're going to talk about the uh, how ubiquitous network connected sensors make our lives easier and our privacy forfeit. That's that's right in our wheelhouse. That's that's right where we live. That's great. Uh, so if folks uh, if folks want to explore uh, the risk in their internet connected lives uh, further, they can always go to uh, dgshow.org. That's uh, yeah. G and Dave, G and Gunner Show That's where you'll find the show notes for the show. Don't forget about iTunes. Uh, whereas I listen to a podcast that I think uh, is profane, but uh, so definitely not safe for work or children. But um, uh, it's kind of fun. Uh, it's a uh, it's called the, it used to be called the History Lessons Podcast, and now it's called Unbuttoned. Are you familiar with this? No, no. Uh, it's basically four 20-somethings in Boston drinking and talking about history, uh, and it's like way more fun than you think it's going it's, to. It's, each episode is like being at a party um, with, uh, with the funny kid, you know? Okay. Uh, that's that, that's kind of what, what it's like. And uh, uh, Anyway, they have a they have a running gag on their podcast where they say like, so go to go to iTunes and give us a for some reason there's a bug in iTunes where we can't see your review unless you give us five stars. <laughs> so they like like fiending <laughs> fiending blindness for right. for any reviews less than five stars. Anyway, I think that's funny, and I and I feel like I'm similarly afflicted. I feel like I can't see anything less than five stars. It's weird. Right. I, I filed a I filed a ticket with them. I haven't heard back, but. But in the meantime, people should rate us with five stars so we could see their feedback. Though. That's right. That's right. That's correct. I get yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so what's on the what's on the cutting room floor this week, Dave? It's all about maps. We're, we're mapping mm. everything. All right. It's like a cartographer's dream come true. Yeah. 
So we're, we're mapping uh, scroll attacks. We're mapping X-File episodes. We're mapping tour traffic. We're mapping cities by time, uh, uh, travel time. Um, and uh, we're also determining your location by only using three words. That has been super fun. Uh, 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 DNG show super fan uh, Eric Morsi and I have been uh, playing with the uh, playing with that. Um, uh, yeah, because you can actually capture any place on Earth less than uh, it's a three meter by three meter patch, and you can uniquely identify it with just three uh, three words. Um, yeah. So, for example, I spent most of last week in birds copies rises which has a kind of a poetry to it. I like. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So, but, uh, so, but uh, I guess the, the first item we got to talk about in the show, this guy needed, uh, this guy didn't even need three words to let the cops know where he was, huh? He needed a selfie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so remember when we talked about, so, uh, face watch, yeah. you know, that, uh, in the previous episode about how you can go into a store and it's like a, a social way for bar owners and store owners to share who the, you know, people that are, um, that they wanted to be people of interest and all that, um, kind of related, but this is different. So this is in Ohio. Um, it winds up, there's a, um, uh, the, the Lima police department, they posted, uh, a mugshot of, of a wanted man. And, um, and for, uh, I guess, uh, Donald Pugh, his, uh, age 45 failure to appear. Um, it's also a person of interest in other cases, including arson and vandalism and, um, wind up, it wound up that uh, Donald, uh, also known as Chip uh, Pugh, uh, he didn't like the photo, the mugshot. So he sent the police a selfie and uh, called a local police or called a local radio station. <laughs> yeah. So so he's like they. He said uh, they did me wrong. Uh, Pugh said they put a picture on me. Uh, they put a picture out that had me looking like I was Thundercat or something, like James <laughs> Brown on the run. <laughs> And uh, so it wound up that the, the police caught him and uh, they updated their Facebook page with um, the, the old mugshot and the selfie and the new mugshot. So uh, case solved. Nice. Nice. And now he's indicted on uh, charges of vanity, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Killer good looks. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. Yep. Um, yeah. Got some irony for you. I'm I'm always ready for his irony. Yeah. So, like, if you ever go to to Forbes, uh, it drives me nuts. It would be like, oh, this ad. You know, it's like they they like block the. the you got to wait to see this ad for thirty seconds, and you got to X through it and everything. Um, now they were at the point where um, they were telling readers that for them to see the content, you have to disable ad block. <laughs> and guess what happened. <laughs> Uh, that opened up uh, their readers to some kind of attack. Yeah, they they got a nice dose of uh, mal- malvertising. <laughs> so it wound up, and specifically, this was uh, this was discovered for the Forbes 30 Under 30 list, and it featured a prominent security researcher. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. Yeah. 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 So they immediately got some uh, pop under malware. Um, you know, to uh, steal passwords and personal data and banking information and all that. So that's yeah, great. That's great. That's great, man. Uh, but no, but the topic though is internet of things. And so yeah. it turns out that, you know, we're laughing and, you know, somebody can steal your personal data or your passwords. Uh, but it turns out internet of things has a little bit more risk built into it because it actually potentially could affect the material world. Right. 
Yes. Um, yes. And we got a lot of things on the docket. Um, we do. Yep. Yeah, that we're going to talk about. So the first one was like last episode, um, you were telling us about the ring uh, doorbell that you have and, mm-hmm. and you love it. It's awesome and all that. Yeah. And then uh, it wound up that there was a security flaw in that where it could uh, reveal your Wi Fi key. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And then uh, uh, I think it was Uzoma or Matt Mycine in the uh, in the DG Show Slack uh, immediately started giving me a hard time about that. Um, <laughs> not that I didn't deserve it. Um, although this uh, this does get to something that we frequently talk about on the show, which is uh, you know there's talking about a security flaw in like a haha ironic or like embarrassing like there's there's that level uh, like that Forbes thing is kind of that's bad but not catastrophic. Um, right. Well, yeah. if, as long as it wasn't like malware or crypto locker or something. Right, right. That would right. be bad. That was right. Um, and so similarly, like, okay, so uh, was, was there a security flaw? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of mitigating circumstances here. Um, and I think this is kind of like, this is kind of how we have to start talking about uh, security flaws in general, but specifically with this IoT stuff. Because, um, okay, so the security flaw is uh, it will leak your uh, Wi-Fi key if you take a special kind of screwdriver, unscrew it from the wall, put it into its diagnostic mode or in its setup mode and have a Wi-Fi sniffer uh, to sniff out the Wi-Fi key. Mm-hmm. And so it, pretty much as soon as they found that this flaw existed, uh, the company distributed the update. Um, That's good. And the update system is actually really clever. Um, it will trigger an update uh, every time, I think it's certainly every time someone presses the doorbell uh, mm-hmm. in the background, it automatically checks in with the main server uh, to see if there's new software to download, um, which I didn't know. I thought that was, wow, that's that's really interesting. Um, and uh, there's other ways of triggering it too. I think like when it gets motion, when it detects motion, yeah. it will also go check in. Um, so in other words, that, that allowed them, they designed the system pretty well to kind of immediately uh, remediate the problem um, as opposed yes. to sticking the software in a box and then never updating it ever again. Um, yeah. Which is like, we, we'll be talking about them in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so actually what is the, what's the risk here? Well, here's, here's my thinking, Dave, and tell me, tell me if you think I'm wrong. If somebody has gone so far as to, if somebody wants my Wi-Fi key so bad that they're going to take a special screwdriver, take my doorbell off the wall and basically reboot it. Um, it seems like either I or this person who needs my Wi-Fi key so bad, uh, they, they probably have, there's probably, there's probably other things at work here, right? Um, uh, that doesn't seem like, that doesn't seem like too big a, a flaw for me. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Am I wrong about that? No, I, I think that, you know, I think the response was great, but they were able to update it very quickly. So that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, you know, if you were Osama bin Laden, do you want to have a Nest doorbell? I don't know. You know, it's yeah, like, right, it, right. to me, that sounds like somebody that is going to go to the trouble of, of with the fancy screwdriver and go to your front porch and, and do all that. That sounds like a black bag operation. Right. And, you know, that's like, you know, sh- should you be using a doorbell, uh, a Nest doorbell or, or, you know, what should you do? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I mean, in order to get to my doorbell, they have to get past the, uh, the caltrops and the man traps. Right. So, um, right. So I feel like I've mitigated the risk elsewhere uh, on the property. Yes. So. Defense in depth. Yeah, right. defense in depth. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we there is, um, but there's some other stuff that's like terrifying. Um, so so two researchers at Princeton University uh, they found a problem that should uh, terrify most Nest users. Terrify, you say? 
terrify. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So um, it, it says that uh, this article, according to this article, it says that their thermostats were broadcasting their location unencrypted over Wi-Fi. I'm outraged. <laughs> Can you hear it in my voice? I'm outraged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How could yeah. they? Yeah. You're mad as hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay so so walk me through it walk, walk, walk me. <laughs> why are we being so blithe about this mm -hmm. well number one if they broadcast it over the wi-fi that means that you have access to the wi-fi network right, right. right. so you got other problems yeah and is this attack like let's do a little occam's razor here <laughs> um if if I wanted to find out the zip code of where an IoT device is, do I necessarily have to hack it? Uh, no, no. In fact, in fact, what what what's the what's the range of a Wi-Fi system, Dave? <laughs> it's like like, yeah. like three hundred meters, right? Yeah. Uh, so if I'm if I'm <laughs> if you hack this Nest thermostat, it can actually tell you where you are. Yes, <laughs> it's terrifying. Yeah, terrifying, terrifying. Yeah, and it, and it even goes a little bit further here. It's like, so that came out with that terrifying news, but then there was an update mm -hmm. where it wound up that the location information that was leaked was not the home information, but it was the um, the location of uh, remote weather stations. Oh, right, because the Nest wants the weather data from the... <laughs> So regardless, Nest uh, and the Google people, uh, they promptly issued an update. So problem fixed. So this is so right now we're two for two right now as far as being uh, having responsive uh, uh, companies that make their devices and they update them um, pretty promptly and, and they fix the flaws when they see them. Right. Yeah, that's right. And, and if anything, they're victims of uh, kind of breathless media coverage um, more than anything else. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's take a little diversion a little bit. Let's talk about uh, government backdoors. All right, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all about it. I'm all. Yeah. About, I am listening. Yeah. So um, so you know that that uh, encryption backdoors and stuff like that, and you know uh, backdoors into devices. That's something that's been popular with a lot of uh, politicians and government officials. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it looks like uh, for some people, their wish has come true, and the government has, uh, they have some uh, backdoor devices. Really? Mm hmm yep. Okay, well, now, now, I'm, now I am terrified. So, yeah. Uh, tell, tell me more. Yeah. So it winds up, uh, the company, uh, so AMX, um, mm -hmm. they have some backdoor accounts in their conference room devices, and those devices are used by the White House and the U.S. military. <laughs> All right. All yep. right, now we're getting somewhere. Okay, so they got some backdoors. Yep. So they got some backdoors, and so the uh, so I presume that they let the company know, hey, by the way, we found these backdoors, and then the company promptly updated all the devices and uh, and fixed the problem, right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. So so it winds up that uh, the someone with knowledge of the backdoor could completely reconfigure and take over the device um, uh, by getting the highest privileges, and then start sniffing attacks within the network segment, so they can mm -hmm. sniff what's going on in the network. Um, and it wasn't, it was, uh, basically it was, they hardwired in, I guess, in the firmware, um, a user account, like an admin account. And the account was called black widow, mm. uh, I guess. Yeah. From the, the comic books, I guess. Right. Yep. yep. So the researchers, they, uh, reported the issue to AMX, uh, seven months later, um, they, the AMX got around to it. 
and they they fix the problem. Okay, how do they they fix the problem by turning off an unneeded diagnostic account, right? Nope, nope. Um, well, kind of. They they remove that Black Widow account. Okay, that's a yeah. good start. And then, yeah, and then they replaced it with uh, another account, uh, backdoor account called uh, Batman. <laughs> And actually, you can't see it on the podcast, uh, but we'll we'll see in the show notes. It's actually Batman written in elite speak, so it's like one B at sign T capital M lowercase A, like it's just terrible. It's like <laughs> when Dave, when you said this to me, I had to, I I laughed out loud because I I it, it was as if like a fifteen year old was writing the software. It's like Black Widow, Batman, like. Right. It's cool. Right. Kryptonite sucks. <laughs> yeah. Just... Well, and right. And it's, and I'm sure like the first, the Black Widow one was just uh, all one word, capital B, capital W. Mm-hmm. And probably there's like the product manager was like, that's insecure. That's, that's totally guessable. That those are dictionary words. And, and so we need to make this, uh, this new account. It's got to be different and it's, it's got to be encrypted. And there you go. <laughs> and there you go. So um, they went back, I guess, to AMX and said, hey, nice try, uh, Batman. <laughs> and uh, um, three months later, they, they uh, came out with uh, uh, a new set of firmware. The, the Batman account was removed. And AMX says that uh, um, if you look at the release notes uh, for uh, the update, is that the accounts uh, for debugging uh, were removed. All right. Debugging. Okay. Yeah. All right, um, what, Dave. What do you, what, what's your what's your level of confidence on the security of the rest of that system? Not high. Not high. I, I don't. I, do you want to be the AMX sales rep <laughs> at the White House? That's right. Why doesn't my badge work? Yeah. <laughs> they always let me in before. Um, yeah, that's too bad. Sorry, AMX account guy. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. You're not making your number this quarter. I can tell you that much. Yeah. yeah yeah so let's let's talk about cameras again um so we, there was uh another neat thing that i saw that there's this uh 30 webcam that you could turn into a persistent network backdoor okay yeah so 30 bucks uh it's a d-link um that that you can so you basically you go and you hack it and uh, he dumped and reflashed the firmware so that um a remote backdoor would be inserted in the firmware uh, so you can get on the network. Uh, But what was really interesting was that um, inside the firmware, he also removed the capability for the firmware to be updated. Oh. So like, you know how, like you said with your, when your nest doorbell, it'll automatically check for updates. Mm -hmm. Um, It probably went in the, in the machine code and said that, um, and you could just tweak the bit to say that if, if updates uh, equals equals true, then do the updates. Well, you just change that to not true, um, then it won't update. Right, right. Well, that's quite, so. This is like a proof of concept that he was doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and this, I think, this all goes back to the whole Internet of Things thing. That uh, what's really interesting is that um, there is no these devices are super cheap. Um, the company goes out of business. Who knows? You know, what it, will it ever be updated? And then also physical access to the hardware, uh, whether you're a hacker or whatever, you know, that's that's a risky thing um, because like 
like I'm, I've been playing around a lot with like Arduinos and microcontrollers. I can go up to an Arduino and pull out all of the um, uh, the programming uh, like off the chip, which would and, and just dump it uh, to a file and then just comb through it and look for Wi-Fi passwords or things like that. So um, stuff like that's kind of easy to do unless you have like some sort of like a trusted platform module to do that, but that's going to drive the cost of the unit. Yeah. Well, and then introduces its own set of concerns. Um, Dave, you and I remember this. There was a kerfuffle uh, around in the Linux community around the TPM because uh, in order to make the TPM work, you also have to root your trust in something. Yes. Um, and the man. Yeah. The man. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it would be great to have uh, a module that says, or it would be great to have a feature on the chip that says, um, only run the software that I trust. Uh, but then in order to make that work, you have to have somebody to trust. Um, exactly. And then, and then the, how that key gets put in there becomes, in a, becomes a whole new set of security problems. Um, so it's like turtles all the way down. Yep. 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 Yeah, speaking of not trusting people, um, mm-hmm. let's talk about strangers and baby monitors for a little bit. <laughs> I'm I'm pay- I am paying attention. <laughs> yeah, so this is this is super creepy. Um, there um, there was actually uh, like, do you have a, a baby monitor? And feel free to not disclose this information. Um, yeah, yeah, I do. I I actually I have a baby monitor, and it was bought uh, using mostly security criteria. Um, I think I probably could have gotten a much higher quality kind of audio video hook hook up there but um i bought the one that was uh well understood to be uh, to be the secure choice so hmm. okay yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah so it wound up that there was this couple um they went into their three-year-old son's bedroom and they were alarmed to discover that um somebody hacked into their baby monitor was spying on the toddler and sometimes speaking disturbing messages to the toddler over the device that is messed up. Yeah. So things like, wake up, little boy. Daddy's looking for you. Man. Um, yeah. And then, then they heard it. Um, uh, you know, they went in and then they overheard. It's like, look, someone's coming. Someone's coming into our view uh, as they're walking into the room. Yikes. Yeah. And then it, and so this is a Foscam people or the people that make this. Okay. And it wound up... Um, uh, being uh, a, a vulnerability in the webcam software where people are able to hack it and take it over. Um, and there is firmware updates available for it, but it's up to people to update their devices and know to do that. Um, and so according, and so this is actually, there have been a lot of articles. I, I saw that there was ones even going back to like 2015 where people were reporting the exact same things where people were, hacking and talking over the, the baby monitors and creeping people out and all that. Um, and so the, the Foscam uh, PR geniuses um, have said, um, updating firmware is extremely important, especially if the devices are, uh, uh, if the devices in question are more than six months old. So it's not their fault. It's, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the user's fault yeah. to not know this. Blaming which, the victim. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and then, uh, the camera was a three-year-old model and needed a firmware update. The company added, being hacked is not exclusive to Foscam. All devices connected to the Internet run the risk of being hacked. And and it also has a, a helpful uh, list of tips for uh, the Foscam. They have uh, tips for uh, their security cameras as well. So what's interesting is that sounds, you're right, like that sounds tone deaf. And I'm now realizing that... Um, 
approaching, it used to be that you put a device in your house um, and you ignored it like it was an appliance, right? And so it just kind of like took care of itself. Um, yeah. And then at the other end of the kind of maintenance expectation spectrum, you've got like a personal computer, which, you know, requires this kind of like heavily, uh, heavily manual process for updating it, right? You have to actually click on a bunch of buttons and enter your password and stuff before, um, before your operating system updates, for instance. Um, and like over time, especially in consumer devices, the trend has gone much more towards the kind of appliance model in like Chrome will update whether I ask it to or not. Um, likewise, right. likewise with Firefox, likewise with my ring doorbell. Um, and that it's interesting to see that transition that's happening just over the last like five years. I think we started to see mm -hmm. that behavior like Apple, I think will now, um, there's a, Apple updates pretty automatically. I think in fact, there's an option to just like blindly update whenever they, whenever they update you as an example, um, phones, likewise, the same thing. And I, th mm -hmm. I think it's good and I think it's, I think this is great. Um, and I think it's especially for something that is meant to be treated as an appliance. Um, that has to be the, dis the disposition. You can't ask for manual intervention because nobody's going to keep a spreadsheet of like all the light bulbs in the house that need the firmware update. Right. 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 It's well, the light bulb's been more than six months old. <laughs> yeah. So. You should have known. Yeah. It was your fault for not patching the system yet. That's, that's silly. That's silly. Yeah. What somebody ought to do is, is have like a Twitter bot that will, um, post uh, screen caps of unsecured webcams. Yep, done, done. Links in the show notes. It's already done. Okay. Yep. All right, next. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, remember when we were talking about uh, the, the Vizio TVs that were observing viewers' habits and sending them back up? Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. And also like bad BIOS of, of doing like ultrasonic to like send, mm -hmm. do communications and all that? Yep. Um, there's a, a, a really nice Indian startup. Uh, they're called Silver Push. And um, they are doing uh, uh, embedding inaudible sounds uh, into web pages that you read and the, tele, uh, the television commercials you watch. And what it does is that the, with the software in the apps in your, in, uh, in your phones and tablets, it will hear them um, and then uh, set cookies, send that information back to Silver Push. And the whole point of doing this is... Um, optimizing your ad experience, I guess. So that way it can ultimately um, link your watching of television uh, to your phone and your tablet and link them all together as one person and one entity. So instead of having ads optimized for your phone, then separately optimized for your tablet, then separately optimized for your computer, then for the television, this is a great way so you can get uh, a unified ad experience that is optimized just for you. Great. Great. That, that sounds, uh, man, I'm not interested in that. I don't yep. want... <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. Okay. What apps are using this? And I wonder if it's like the apps that are like people, uh, like I've heard all these stories about, um, you know, people using these libraries because they, oh, I need this cool library because it does something neat. And then it brings along all this other garbage with it. Mm -hmm. and I wonder if that's how it gets into these apps. Or maybe like Silver Push would pay an app developer, um, who knows, Facebook yeah. Yeah, or whatever, yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. like crapware, like like on the uh, Superfish, you know, mm -hmm. um, to stick that on the systems. Uh, so, um, you know, pay you a penny uh, every time it's installed. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's the, 
see and that's <laughs> that's the thing because that you have to get that's the only way for them for this thing to work right because nobody's going to affirmatively go to the silver push website and be like yeah sign me up for this unified ad experience like nobody's and start running it, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 um so you got to like, kind of smuggle it in as part of like ad management software inside an app right um or uh, uh some kind of like uh quote unquote like user diagnostics um or or measurement right uh, yeah it's a and that's what makes it double frustrating, right? Because there's no way for a customer even to necessarily know that that's happening. And so that actually leads to another question is, I think it's really interesting this is happening in India and I don't, I don't, there's no like causal thing here, but I'm not sure. And mostly because I'm not sure what the, what the Indian privacy situation is policy wise. Um, but do you think for a moment that this would be a German startup? No, no, be, I mean, the, the, there's no way that would ever happen. And even in the United States, probably, uh, Maybe maybe we'd have a startup like that in the United States, I suppose. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, bet. yeah. There's probably somebody wanting to do that, but not but like, not in EU. Yeah, not in, they're yeah. they're funny that way. And then and then, but like for the for this technology, how do you make sure that this technology only works in the correct jurisdictions, right? Because doing stuff like this is explicitly like verboten, so to speak. Well, what they ought to do is break into your Wi-Fi so they could find out what your zip code is. Yes. Now you're talking. And then they'll be able to geolocate you. Now we're getting somewhere important. Yes, that's right. And then that's if right. it's illegal to not use it there, then then it'll just self-destruct your phone. Yep, that's right. Okay. That's right. That's how you do it. Okay. Add that to the business plan. <laughs> All right. So did you ever get a smartwatch? No, man, I'm waiting for them to get smaller. I got little baby wrists, and uh, all the smartwatches look ridiculous on me. So I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for smaller form factors. How about you? No, mm-hmm. no, not yet, not yet. Um, yeah, I see more and more people using them, though. I, like even like the, even like I saw people they had their boarding passes on their mm-hmm. uh, wristwatch and then scanning their wrist as they were getting on the plane. So, yep. I mean, yeah. it's cool. I mean, I, I see. I can certainly. I can imagine a universe in which this works, right? Um, I'm way less skeptical of smartwatches, I think now than I was of like tablets. Yeah. I was really skeptical of tablets. That seemed ridiculous to me, but this actually smartwatches, I can, I can, I can imagine myself enjoying a smartwatch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the things they found out some, uh, a researcher, he found that, um, they can use a smartwatch to figure out what your, uh, pin code is. Like whenever you go to an ATM machine and, and you start, you know, you plug in your pin number. Um, you could use uh, the accelerometers inside your smartwatch to uh, uh, figure out what the the pin was, and it could do seventy three percent accuracy. Wow! And now, why? For first of all, wow, and then second, um, why ATMs and pin codes versus? Would that not then be possible to do the same thing for keyboards? I would think so, but you would have a lot more. Uh, keys to press and it would be harder yeah well apparently the code's on github so we can just send them a pr for uh we can just open up Mm -hmm. an issue for hey can you add uh, 101 keyboard 101 key keyboard support yeah 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 yep yeah so i found some gunner bait Mm. this this will get you all wound up um if you're feeling tired this is gonna this will perk you up and (laughs) make make you angry um so let's talk about at&t for a little bit you're well on your way. Okay, good yeah. opener. Yeah, so you're already, you're already <laughs> blood's pumping. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so the AT&T CEO, uh, he's not going to join Tim Cook in the fight against encryption backdoors. Yep. Not, okay, yeah, not a surprise. Not a surprise. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so th- it's like you have all of these people from Silicon Valley stepping up saying, no, no, we don't want to do backdoors. Uh, and my guess is it's, you know, part of it, is it doing the right thing? Yeah. Probably the other part is that they don't want the liability or responsibility to do it, too. Mm-hmm. Um but anyhow, AT&T uh, CEO Randall Stevenson said that uh, AT&T, Apple, and other tech companies shouldn't have any say in the debate. Okay, so let me let me quote him. Uh, I don't think it's Silicon Valley's decision to uh, to make about whether encryption is the right thing to do, uh, Stevenson said <laughs> in an interview with the Wall Street Journal. I understand Apple CEO Tim Cook's decision, but I don't think it's his decision to make. <laughs> I'm going to keep going here. Okay. Because I'm already ready. Okay, but go ahead. Okay. So AT&T has been criticized repeatedly for its uh, cooperation with the NSA, but Stevenson says his company has been singled out unfairly. Mm-hmm. And and he said, uh, to quote him again, it is silliness to say that there's some kind of conspiracy between the U.S. government and, the AT- and AT&T. Uh, he said, adding that the company turns over information only when accompanied by a warrant or court order. Uh, the journal reported yesterday. Yes. So uh, longtime DG Cho fans uh, will recognize that if I say the words uh, 641A, you will all know what I'm talking about. Um, it was revealed uh, quite some time ago, actually, that uh, AT&T in the San Francisco, I guess, switching room has a special room set aside just for the government for wiretaps. Um, and not like, not little onesie twosie wiretaps, but like like a full like trans Pacific fiber feed going into the room. Um, you get, it's very well documented. You can read it elsewhere. Um, and then just the temerity and, uh, the gall, frankly, uh, if it was saying something like that is, uh, it's just, it's insulting. Um, and, but I want to go back to that. I want to go back to another, even more important point. Um, uh, he says that where he says, um, I don't think it's Silicon Valley decision to make about whether encryption is the right thing to do. Um, so that sounds maybe reasonable um, on its face. Like, no, you know, the government will will do the right thing. Okay, well, what that actually is, AT&T shareholders, is CEO Randall Stevenson abdicating, uh, abdicating his company's responsibilities to the government. He's saying, basically, I am not going to have a policy about this. I am going to wait for the U.S. government to give me a policy. And mm-hmm. th- so first of all, the fact that just as a – so ideologically – uh, you can disagree or disagree about whether that's a patriotic thing to do. Um, but as a, like, as a capitalist, you should absolutely stringently object to this because um, why is AT&T taking orders from any one country, right? AT&T operates in many countries around the world, and they're basically handing over their policy on this to one of them, um, which should be enraging. Um, mm-hmm. I, just, I, just, I just don't know... Is he just like poorly briefed or he's, is he like, maybe he doesn't know about that like, room. Yeah, maybe he doesn't know about that room. Why, how could he not? <laughs> there I just, somebody's pulling on the side. No, shut up. <laughs> I know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. 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 Like his phone yeah. starts going off. I, um, <laughs> yeah. It's a cigarette smoking it's, man. It's, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I just don't, I, I really don't understand it. And actually the thing I don't understand the most is why he would take this position. Like, as a as somebody who is interested in the health and welfare of their company, just knowing what I know about large companies, he should be like ref, reflexively rejecting any government attempt to regulate this stuff, right? Um, 
Uh, and that is true no matter what industry you're in, uh, no matter what it is that you do, you never want the government to start intervening in your business decisions, right? Um, I, I will challenge you on that. Okay, I'm ready. Yeah. So um, this is something I learned in MBA school, but mm-hmm. um, that is uh, a counter to a counterintuitive example. Is so when whenever you have highly regulated industries like telecom, uh-huh. they like the regulation. So uh, think about like right. the tobacco industry. This is the um, capture thing, right? Don't know about the capture. The, thing. Oh, the, uh, oh, the the I think isn't the word for that regulatory capture. Oh no, no, oh. that's the other thing. That's that's when the regulator. Uh, sorry, take it back. Yeah, that's when the regulator gets so cozy with the industry that they don't that they can't regulate anymore. Sorry. Yeah, no. Okay. This is where like like with the cigarette industry, um, they ultimately they come up with so many stringent regulations. It raised barriers. It basically right. gave them a, the cigarette manufacturers a monopoly that prevented new cigarette companies from coming along. Right. Um, and and so this could be another thing that AT and T may have enough people that could do all these searches or warrants and all that that would prevent a small startup to be able to comply with something like that. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting. Oh, that's an interesting angle. I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't yeah. thought of that. Huh. Anyway, morally irreprehensible. Hmm? It's silliness. Silliness. <laughs> silliness. Actually, yeah, that's right. Oh boy. Okay. Well, tell tell me. I'm missing my friends in in public sector. Tell me. Uh, give me give me some good news. Yeah. So we were we were blogged about by the open organization again. Um, actually, uh, Paul Smith uh, was was uh, uh, the open organization uh, people did a blog on the episode we did with Paul Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I noticed in if you look at that article, there's a comment. And there's a, a nice lady, uh, Sandra McCann. Uh, she said uh, in in that blog post something that would be nice to hear and discuss is how to keep an open organization from slipping down into a command and control uh, organization as it grows and morphs over the year. Uh, that's got to be tricky uh, to keep ahead of, I'd think. So, what, what do you think about that? How do you maintain an open, uh, red hatty kind of culture as the company grows? And you and I have been around for a while. We we started off when it was small mm-hmm. smaller mm-hmm. um and it's grown a lot how how do you think that uh uh what are ways to maintain the culture as as a company grows like ours yeah so i got well i suppose that we could we, this is definitely worth exploring i guess at first blush what i think about is um the the decisions that are exposed the decisions that get exposed to employees as the company grows um they get exposed to different kinds of decisions right um, in other words, like there was a time in Red Hat's history where everyone decided on everything, right? Like what kind of toilet paper we were going to buy. Um, you know, if somebody bought the wrong snacks, there was an open insurrection. Um, somebody takes our paper towels away. Somebody takes our paper towels away. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then, but as the company gets larger, those decisions, uh, that stuff kind of falls away. It's just a, like, there's an economy of time and attention. And so people begin to focus on kind of more critical matters, right. As the company gets bigger. Um, and so, you know, you look at memo list today and, um, the conversations are, uh, I feel like the conversations have kind of moved up the stack, so to speak. Um, and so we retain that kind of combative, uh, culture. Um, but just its focus has changed mm-hmm. over time. I think that's part of it. Um, but another part of it is about, um, responsiveness, right? So, um, I would, I think it's fair to say that 
all of the executives in the company, if there is, they allow for dissent and they also honor it and, mm-hmm. in, and engage with it. Right. So, um, I mean, there's, there were what, two or three big fights on memo list this week and, um, and everyone, uh, if the, if the conversation looks like it's actually got legs and that people are actually very exercised about it and it's not going to fizzle out on its own, like at some point, like an executive will, will jump in and kind of contribute to the conversation, maybe explain a strategy, maybe say like, you know what, you're right. We might be wrong. We'll go like, we'll go take a bunch of these people who are interested and, you know, turn them into a task force to go examine X, Y, Z. Um, and that kind of, that continues to encourage the behavior, right? Cause it's not just people screaming into the wilderness. It's, um, uh, they know that there will be results or, or something will happen. They will feel heard. Um, and so in that way, I think the company rewards the behavior, which is why it continues even as we've gone from, I mean, I just had my 10 year anniversary, right? Like a, we went from 1200 to 8,000 people and a lot has changed about the company, but that is one thing that hasn't changed is that, um, when there is dissent or when there is confusion, um, the leadership uh, is very attentive to it. Um, and I think that keeps the organization open. I don't know. What about you? Yeah, no, I, I think that's important too. And and I, I like your point about the, the time and attention. I know that like we have memo list and I, I believe there are other memo lists regionally as well, like in other geographies. Um, and I wonder if that's a good way. I think that's a good way to scale too. And it's also a good way to um, culture, you know, keep the culture the same, but uh, like the red hat culture, the same, but apply that to different cultures and different people with different sets of values where, you know, like if like there's a memo list thread that complains about the snacks in a building in Raleigh or whatever, uh, does that matter around the world? But somebody could take that to the regional list where it's really important to them, um, and, and have those discussions there. So I, I think that could be a good way to have things scale as well as, is to allow people to have that voice, but, uh, but focus it. Um, but you got to have this balance where if you have, you know, I'm, I'm really nervous about, you know, when somebody sends a, a post to memo list, they're generating 8,000 interrupts. Yep. Uh, and, and is it really worth it? Yeah. Um, you know, to do that, to, to you know, for, you know, as, as a employee and shareholder and all that, it's like, uh, you know, I always think twice before doing stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of, and, uh, we've talked, we might've talked about it on the show before. I don't remember who does it. I think it's Adam Jackson. He, uh, he started doing a, uh, top posters on oh, the leaderboard, the leaderboard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I haven't yeah. seen that in a while. I haven't yeah. either. Now that I'm thinking about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, he would, uh, especially when the memo, when the, there was a moment in Red Hat's life when the memo list activity got seriously out of hand. Um, yeah. and the solution was not to tell everybody to shut up. The solution was, like fine every week we're going to post a list of who is posting to memo list most frequently and lo and behold the the, like top one two three people suddenly got a lot quieter (laughs) because they were and it turns out that actually a small cadre actually generates you know it's the Pareto thing again um so a very small cadre generates 80 percent of the traffic right um and so once those people are identified and self-identify as the noisy neighbors um they start regulating their behavior um which is uh that's pretty good. I think that's a nice Yeah, and it, it. it wasn't they, nobody was telling them to shut up. Yep. It was just like think before you speak. Mm-hmm. That's right. And uh I mean speaking and now that I'm a manager, I can I can I can say this. I uh I'm actually pretty proud of this. Uh, so I'll vainly I'll I'll crow my own accomplishment. Um 
I had a, I had a cute little play on words. I was talking with a bunch of other managers uh, about a memo list type thread that was going on, and uh, we were kind of all well. We're really frustrated that all this kind of dissent and all this stuff is happening, but I guess it's good that people are uh, exercising their opinions. And uh, I uh, coined the phrase: uh, "The tree of transparency is watered with the tears of managers." <laughs> <laughs> I like that. You, is, you need to. You got to. That's got to be a shirt. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stitch that on a sampler and hang it in my cube. Yeah. Um, the, <laughs> but I think that kind of captures the red hat attitude, right? Um, like, yes, this is messy. Um, yes, it's uncomfortable. Uh, but ultimately, this is all for the good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. You know what else is great? Hmm. Uh, OpenShift. It is. You know. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so I found that there's uh, OpenShift Test Drive Lab that you can get for 30 days, which is pretty cool. It's all, you click a button and then bam, you're up and running. Um, and you have your own little uh, OpenShift area that you could play with. And I also found that uh, Google, uh, the Google Cloud people, mm -hmm. um, they uh, wrote a really nice blog post about how um, uh, they're all excited about um, making container adoption easier and Kubernetes adoption easier uh, by using OpenShift dedicated on Google Cloud Platform. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So our partnership with Google is really growing. Um, it, it's just been a great collaboration, and the kind of the centerpiece of that collaboration is the work that we're doing on Kubernetes, um, which is the 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 container infrastructure orchestration tool. Um, so if you've got a bunch of containers, you need them wired together, you need something to manage them, you need something to scale them. Um, that's what Kubernetes is all about. And Google basically invented it. And we immediately identified how awesome it was. We started contributing to it. We're the number two contributor. Google's number one. And uh, uh, yeah, it's been a very fruitful partnership and it just keeps growing and growing and we keep making each other's stuff better. And uh, now, finally, you can run OpenShift dedicated on the Google Cloud platform. It's it's really cool to see how uh, to see how strong this has become and how quickly that's happened. I, I think it's great. Yeah, and what what I like about it too is that well, hey, Google has their own container thing and they have their own mm -hmm. orchestration thing, uh, but they're saying that hey, working with Red Hat's a good thing too, and it's good for the Kubernetes community doing it on Google Compute Engine. So mm -hmm. I think that's nice. Instead of them saying that you know keeping it all to themselves, uh, yep. that's pretty great to share the love there. Yep, they're being very ecumenical about the whole thing. That's great. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Cool. So have you ever changed phone numbers? Uh, I think I uh, yes, actually yes, twice I think. Yeah, twice yeah. I've changed phone numbers. Yeah. Like, do you ever get like phone calls for, um, from like the previous owner of the phone call or, or the, of the phone number or, or stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. I have. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Did you ever find out who it was or was it just like some random person or no, some, you know, yeah. Some rando. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I get, I, I think the numbers are transposed, but sometimes I would get like uh, phone calls from like the Kent uh, Ohio chamber of commerce or something like that. So many times I just wanted to be like, Oh yes, how can I help you? And it's like, well, you come right on down and you know, how would you like to start a business in Kent? And, uh, yeah. but, but I saw that there was uh, an interesting article that there was this guy who's was in law school and, and he got a, a new cell phone number back in 2012. And then all of a sudden, it's like he started getting these unsolicited calls from these uh, luxury car dealers asking him to, to drive Jaguars, Ferraris, Lamborghinis. Um, and then there was also like people like sending him like pictures of, of uh, like pitching him like uh, 
uh, rap music over YouTube clips. Uh, and sent, and he was getting these pictures of like all these bikini clad women, um, sent to him. Hmm. Um, yeah. And then all of a sudden he's like getting messages, uh, about, uh, from, uh, promoters offering uh, free concert tickets and backstage passes. And, and so for him, it's like, boy, if he could just like show up and say, Hey, yeah, I'm here for the tickets and I'm, I'm here for that guy or whatever. Uh, but the thing was, he said, well, Hey, it's like, since he's in law school, and he didn't want to get in trouble uh, with the bar association. He decided to not do it, um, and and so wound up that that uh, one August afternoon, um, he he finally figured out uh, who was making all those those uh, whose phone number it originally was. Um, so it wound up he was getting like a ton of like happy birthday uh, notes and calls mm-hmm. uh, again from all these scantily clad ladies Mm -hmm. and and like all these references from uh uh, about uh from the song baby got back Uh Uh (laughs) Uh and so he did a little bit of googling and then he found out that that august day um was uh sir mix-a-lot's birthday (laughs) that's amazing that's great yeah so so he had sir mix-a-lot's old phone number um so yeah (laughs) That's great. I think, you know, um, when we talk about kind of, when we talk about like identity theft or kind of like compromising your privacy and stuff like that, we always think about it being like some nameless like database company or, um, you know, people improving your ad experience. But um, basically this guy inadvertently stole Sir Mix-a-Lot's identity. Um, and it turns out it's not so bad. Well, it was handed to him. <laughs> That's right. It was foisted upon him. He's getting all these pictures of, of That's bikini right. ladies. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. I love it. Yeah. So it wound up that the the um the the newspaper that wrote the article reached out to uh Sir Mixalot and and said uh and just to get his take on the whole thing and it's and he said that he was uh um both amused by, by the news but sorry for the guy that had to deal with all the you know uh, racy messages and pictures and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he offered some advice uh, to basically uh, don't check any uh, text messages in front of your wife. So, <laughs> lessons learned. Lessons learned. <laughs> so if you ever get Sir Mix-a-Lot's uh, old cell phone number, don't check check the messages in private. <laughs> I can't imagine a better note to end on. Dave, if... Yep. Uh, uh, if folks want to uh, learn more about, uh, if folks want to learn more about these maps in the uh, cutting room floor, um, if they want to uh, heap scorn um, on uh, Randall Stevenson uh, of AT and T, uh, what, what website should they visit? They they need to go to dgshow.org, which is encrypted. So D is in Dave, G is in Gunner, show.org. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Gunner. Thanks everybody for listening. Mm-hmm.